Hey there, everybody. This is Scott Grimes. I play Gordon Malloy on the Orville, and you are listening to the Planetary Union Network Orville Fan Podcast. Dig it! This is Geek Punk. A Google Media Production. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Planetary Union Network, the Orville Fan Podcast. I am one of three co-hosts. I am Dan Taylor and with me as usual, Joe Quickle, how are you? Hey Dan, how's it going? It's like I just saw you. Yeah, not too too long ago. Uh, Michael May, how about you? I'm doing especially good. Good. You guys made it from uh, made it safely home from your recent journeys and adventures. Um, with us uh, this episode is our guest, who we had the pleasure of meeting uh, the other week, and we have Jason Roberts, Unit Production Manager of the Orville. Jason, how are you? Hi. Thanks for having me on your show, guys. Hey, thanks for uh, popping in and joining with us. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, Dog and Pony show you work on over there on the little corner of um, the Fox Studio <laughs> lot, the Orville. Uh, first off, we want we want to thank you. Um, as our listeners know, we did have the opportunity to uh, go and visit the offices and visit the sets and check things out there. And we want to thank you for your uh, being a gracious host and showing us around. Oh, it was our it was our pleasure. We love you guys. We think you have a good show, and it's uh, good for our show. And uh, it was a, a nice opportunity for us to be able to uh, thank you and have you out here and show you around a bit and uh, give you a little insight to uh, how it works day to day here. Now, we're going to want to kind of touch base on on that experience, but of course, we understand that we have to, you know, not uh, peek behind the curtain. Everything uh, we want to keep things uh, safe and secure. So I think we have Tom Castantino back there policing us in case we do uh, stray too far. So if no, it turns out... Here. <laughs> <laughs> he has all things out, social media. <laughs> if it turns out that for our listeners that you see here some weird edits, that means we t- went and talked about something really juicy we couldn't talk about. <laughs> uh, but Joe does a good job. We're just gonna play a. You gotta uh, get like an Orville sound. You gotta. You guys gotta get an Orville sound effect that you can just put in every time someone says something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can use like the red alert tone and then just say redacted. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or now, or engage. Yeah. <laughs> now, first off, the most amazing thing I I saw there, of course, was the wedding chapel where Ed and Kelly get married again. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's something we can talk about, definitely. They, they we're actually having them, planning them to have them renew their vows every episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's a permanent All of the truth. There's no wedding chapel. <laughs> no wedding chapel. Um, all right, so like I said, we did uh, get to visit the sets, and it was... Let's just talk about how amazing um, it is in the aspect of the, the standing sets... You, uh, as far as cast and crew, you guys are used to it, but for um, the guy, the regular schmoes with podcasts walking off the streets, when we walk onto the sets, it's like walking onto an actual spacecraft, the way you guys have constructed it. it you, you don't feel like you're going from one set stage here to one you know, set stage there. It feels like you're on a functioning, authentic, if not a spacecraft, a princess line cruise. You know, it's it's funny. I uh, I think so too. We, we there's an interesting history behind that stage and the way the ship came about. And uh, I don't know if you know this about my my credits. I actually was a, a trainee way back in the day. I'm going to date myself a little bit here on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. And on that one, it was a two-story set also that uh, we shot on over at Paramount. We actually thought shot on three stages, and they kind of used the same concept here. Uh, and we had started that on another show here at Fox, a, a, a one-season short-lived series called Gang Related uh, in 2012, I believe, on a, on a stage next door where we built uh, a multi-leveled 
uh, set, and the producers uh, of that are some of the same producers on this one, and they saw with their, I guess, maybe with the designer or whatever, how to utilize the space better uh, on the pilot, which I wasn't involved with. I came in after the pilot was shot. And uh, the stage that we're shooting on was formerly occupied by American Horror Story Hotel, or one of them. I actually didn't see it. But in that, uh, I don't know if you, when you took your tour, you saw the staircase that goes up to the bridge. That was the original staircase set piece that they used in that show and which they, you know, reconfigured and built. Uh, that was the only thing left over because uh, nothing from American Horror Story actually works in space. Uh, but that we used for the uh, uh, stage and set pieces there. Uh, and just reconfigure the stairs and everything. But uh, they had a two-story set also, and it and it maximizes our space. And so uh, we were able to have more uh, room on the ship to shoot in, which is uh, you know opens up the story capabilities a lot. It it, it must be uh, a bonus or an advantage for the uh, cast to have that sort of situation set up, because like when you. Um, now I can say this, because speaking from experience, walking from the bridge down the <laughs> corridor into the ready room, um, again, you know, if you're not, there's no way or need to drop out a character to walk over to another soundstage or, you know, step over, you know, a bunch of crew. I mean, it it is it is real, and I think that's what's amazing about it. Yeah, I think I think they do that on some other shows too. Like they did that on ER, where they had long uh, walk and talk study cam stuffs with, uh, you know, for the hospital, and on certainly on Aaron Sorkin shows like The West Wing, where you know they built the entire these filled these stages with all these hallways and rooms and stuff, so they can keep it going and stay, you know, keep the scenes going longer. I think it does help them. I think I think surrounding yourself when you walk on this ship and all you see is the ship, and the first season you have the stars out there, or, you know, any anything you see out the windows, it makes you feel like you're really in the environment. But we know we're not now, in space. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, now we've things have kind of and what you know again you know we're going to tread lightly here, but things have sort of been updated or modified in some aspects, as as anything would from like a season one to a season two. Um, yeah. You try and expand, and you try and uh, you know make. Uh, 2.0 better than 1.0, and you try and uh, uh, expand your universe so that, that there's more of a backstory and more of a environment in which people can see the, 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 big, the big bigger picture, that there's, you know, there's a lot of more elements, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, can I say, because I've actually got read up here, there's a photo on Reddit that's at the stage, and I just looked at it again, and it's the, it's, it's pre, it's the pilot right one where they were voting for the pilot and th that photo doesn't do it justice because that stage is now completely crammed with not only season two goodies but the building out of season one um yeah i mean it's it's a it's a living organism that changes from even episode to episode as we're adding new sets and new things to to uh you know tell a story tell the stories that the writers are writing for us it requires that so you know, we fill them up uh, pretty quick. You know, like any pr good production designer, you give them as much stage space as you can. They always take it to that four-foot line, which is the fire lane that yeah. you can't go into. It'll be right up against it. So uh, we are maximizing our space to be able to tell bigger and better stories. Now, in season one, you served as first uh, AD, assistant director, correct? That's correct. I, I did uh, six episodes, or well, five episodes uh, uh, on... Uh, on uh, on season one, and then uh, uh, this year I'm the unit production manager. I, I got a little promotion. So 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 you, yeah, so you are in a sense. Uh, you went from Jason Roberts, yeah. you know, point oh one to or point one to or one point oh to two point oh now, along with yeah. the rest of the stuff. Yeah, there's changes abound. Well, I, I you know, your your audience can, uh, I guess, look look me up to see my long and storied and really uh, mediocre career uh, thus far, <laughs> where uh, where I've worked so many years in a capacity that it was just uh, uh, the time was right and the opportunities were were there to give me an op this chance to uh, to expand my own horizons too. So you know, it's two different, completely different jobs. So the first season is the first idea, and I don't know what your regular podcast listeners know about the behind-the-scenes crews on shows, 
uh, I was kind of like the field marshal instead, if you will. And I, I and the job of a first AD is to um, facilitate the forward movement of a shooting company. So uh, you know, we run the day-to-day uh, environment on the set. So we we schedule and break down uh, a script and order it uh, based on certain variables, and and then we we put it into action on the set and, and, and set the tone and the pace of, of the day for all the other departments is the basic idea behind it. And then as a unit production manager? Oh, it's completely different. So they're, they're more on the, uh, the management side, which is budgetary, and uh, it's, it's creative also. It's trying to figure out solutions to... to allow them to creatively capture what they want to capture within a certain budget. So um, in the beginning, it's, it's everything from hiring crew to uh, determining what kind of equipment we can use to achieve those goals to uh, determining how to solve problems, you know, financially and creatively so that on set everything is running smoothly. Having It's kind of like uh, the forward person for them, you know, making sure everything's ready for them uh, on the days that they show up to shoot something. So as a first AD, when you come across problems on set, you know, these are the guys that have the headset in the ears that you're rolling and cut. You know, you try, a problem comes up, you solve it very quickly. You know, your job is to keep it moving and keep the action happening so that you can uh, film, you know, you have eight days to film an episode and you have X amount of scenes and there's only so many hours in a day that you can shoot. So there's a kind of a locked-in schedule that you have to adhere to financially, creatively, all the different variables. And you're, if a problem comes up, you have to solve it very quickly. And you have to make snap decisions, and you, you, you implement them right away. And everyone looks to you to do that. And then as a unit production manager, even though my brain has had 30-odd you know, years of doing it one way, is now I have to say, whoa, put on the brakes. Let's talk about what's the question behind the question and why and uh, the hows and come up with other creative solutions that are financially feasible to, to give the directors and the producers and Seth and everyone involved uh, the best opportunity to, to, to give them what they want within, within the budget. Now, as you said, you've got your IMDB uh, page is quite long and impressive. And so you've worked on a, a wide array of type of, of, of shows, different shows that you mentioned. How does a show like, you know, and a, a Deep Space Nine was probably very much like it, but Deep Space Nine and the Orville, you know going in, and especially going into season two now, you know the kind of show and the kind of fan base that a show like this creates. Oh, yeah. Um, well... Yeah. So every everything you build on it is definitely um, not picked apart, but definitely under a very uh, scrutinizing eye of the fan. Well, it, it's funny because social media in this day and age has changed. I'm actually not very savvy with all that. I'm not on any of the uh, the platforms like Twitter, Instagram, or any of the ones that everybody's on. I I just haven't you know. I'm, uh, I come up to the, the I'm still in the dark ages. I'm a Luddite, you know. I still flip pages in a book, but uh, but back in the day, you know, it was funny. I ended up on Deep Space Nine because the training they had before me was a little bit of a trekkie, and they didn't actually like that because it it it, it inhibited his work uh, from from running smoothly. And so I went down. To, I remember going down, and I know this is in Orville, this is Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, but I went down and sat in the offices when they interviewed me. And they said, well, in TNG, uh, you know, there's this. And they gave me, I said, hold on a second, what's TNG? <laughs> I didn't know. I'm sorry to say, because I wasn't someone who watched a lot of, a lot of television that, that was Star Trek and, and that thing. And they said, oh, you're perfect. We'll, we'll take you, because I didn't know what it was. And, and there wasn't that, the same social media and, 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 and news that there was now. It was all pretty um, run through publicity departments and very sanitized and very, very specific stuff where publicists had certain people at certain times come in and do that. And now in this day and age, just like anyone could be a filmmaker with their phone, anyone could be a social media blogger with their phones and with everything and, and pull information from everywhere. And I think the only, I mean, downfall to me personally of that, of this, the side of it that I don't like, is that it, it gives away a little bit of the magic of, uh, of knowing what everything is before it happens. And, you know, wanting to know how something's done is, is great. It's admirable. It's fun. It's exciting. But, but 
but information that, that gets out there that reveals, you know, key plot points or, you know, story, I think is detrimental to the show. It's not even, I, I, I think it's important to have a presence on social media because I think it's important to get the show out there. But I always feel a little discomfort when people know the story before they have a chance to see the story because they're already making judgments about it. So I, I walk a very fine line of, you know, not being involved with it and liking it or not liking it, you know. I, I don't know, uh, you know. No, and, and and on our end as well, you know, we we very much uh, appreciate the opportunities that you know we have um, covering and talking and discussing the Orville, and of course there are things that we know that we're not privy to share with our audience as well. And yeah, yeah, but as it comes out, like right now, I would love to talk to you guys about anything from last season. I was the first AD on. Uh, Let's see, if this episode three, uh, I think it was four actually, or I don't know which one it aired in, but I did About a Girl, the one about the Mocklin baby. I did If the Stars Should Appear, the Lamb Neeson one. I did the Krill episode with John Kassar, who's back this year as our supervising uh, director producer. I did Into the Fold, where the kids uh, crash land on the planet with their mom and Isaac. And I did, yeah, that was pretty crazy, that episode. And I did uh, Firestorm, which was the uh, Alara one with the clowns and all the big stunt scenes and I did one other one that uh, will come out this year we can't talk uh, about which, it you're right which I can't talk about but it'll be part of season two and uh, and formerly 112 as it, we call it, it. that's not yeah no, no it was a, it was one that was going to be last year so now the, of course we refer to Into the Fold as the one where Border says now entering the glory hole but <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah you know, call it whatever it's you funny. want to we we laugh on set too. There's some of that stuff is so funny. You know, I've ruined a couple takes myself. You know, just uh, just because or because as a first AD, sometimes you know not all the characters are there and they're talking to the view screen. And the first AD typically uh, is how we've done it. We'll read all the off-camera dialogue so that they can act off, and we'll just be right off set so that we're acting alongside of them. And that's something that I like to do. And I do that at the table reads too. You know, I'll read some of the characters or the initial dialogue, and you know, set the pace of of the of, of the shows we're doing that. But but uh, I remember once there was some line where I had to say, and Scott Grimes and I still laugh about this every minute. There's two things with him. I said I couldn't say Pleiades cluster. It was like one of the writers, you know, wrote this about star cluster, and 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 it came out wrong. And all of them stopped dead in their tracks and started cracking up because it sounded like peanut cluster or something. It sounded completely <laughs> wrong in the middle of this dramatic scene. And you know, and I I I started laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. I had to get my uh, second AD there to finish, you know, that take because you know it's one of those where I just I just turned red. I just couldn't look at the guys anymore. But uh, uh, so there was another time with Scott Grimes. Uh, where I was reading the uh, once again the off-camera interstitial dialogue, and I was so excited in the in the uh, action part of it that I said, uh, you know, and and we do this and we do that, and I said a line, and then it was Scott's line that he was saying there. He goes, wait a minute, that was my line. He said that on camera, and we couldn't. I couldn't. Once again, I started cracking. I thought I couldn't go on again. He still thinks it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened to him on set. <laughs> anyway, so you know, it's, we we have a lot of fun on set. Now we've talked about the various episodes of season one so far, and and it seems to be the general consensus is that with the third episode that aired about a girl, that, that's when audiences really their ears perked up and they took they they took notice of the show that it was more than just you know what was being perceived that this was a bona fide uh, thinking man science fiction type show. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think you know, I we have the luxury of being able to look at the evolution of the scripts. You know, uh, because before we started shooting it, and we had almost every script, uh, so we knew the direction it was going. And when I first started, and you read the first one, or you read the pilot, or see the pilot, and then you're reading two, three, four, and they were actually aired out of the order that we shot them because they're all standalone. Uh, kind of episodes for the most part. So that was actually episode number four originally. It did air third, you're right. And um, for various reasons, they, they change it around sometimes due to scheduling or, you know, ready times on visual effects or whatever it may be for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, people expect Seth just to bring funny, you know, and to bring, you know, re- reverent, 
kind of humor and and uh, and an everyman sort of like you know wink wink nudge nudge some of the time too. And uh, but when we started reading the scripts, we realized there's a whole other sub level of psychology behind people and thought. And there's a lot of parallels uh, that you can draw from modern times, you know, that are affecting everybody right now. So I think it was a it's really an amazing way to bring up these subjects. And talk about it on a, on a on a different level while retaining the humor when you can because I really think Seth, you know, if anything, uh, is such a uh, has such a love for the, the this kind of material and environment of, of you know a space show and he's such a uh, genuine guy when it comes to his belief that this can be more than just you know it wasn't meant to be a comedy but that he, he always will have a little bit of that in there, in there is that uh, is that I think it's such a nice way to 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 have all these allegories and 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 situations be able to bring it up in a, in a new way to people that maybe not be talking about it or thinking about it so I, I agree I think it's such a it's, it was such a great way and I think it really uh, excited fans and it, it certainly excited me when we were making it if the star should appear, that's the one where you had Liam Neeson, the surprise yeah. guest appearance on that. Yeah. How did that get pulled off? I mean, because, and then we know there's a okay. couple of surprises coming on for season two, and we're, we look, we eagerly look forward to those. And, you know, and things get leaked out, or some people are able to kind of get clues or, or get some hints, but this one seemed to come out of nowhere and surprised everybody. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that, you know, it's, funny if i can just draw another parallel to another show i did a, a long time ago like uh, on empire the first year that we shot it you know when we were doing a couple episodes it was impossible to get anybody to want to be on it because they're like what's this show and the second it becomes a hit or has a little something behind it then everybody wants to do the show and i think you know the, the casting directors on this one and, the, and seth's casting people really have their hand with a lot of people that, that Seth's worked with and li- like Seth and, and, and that like the idea of the show. And I think that was a role that, that they were seeking uh, uh, to get someone of some note to give it a little more gravitas, you know, to the, to the scene. And uh, we were able to pull it off because we shot that, uh, you know, we had to sh- the only way we were able to pull it off, though, is that Liam was in New York City and couldn't come to L.A. in the time frame that we were going to shoot it. So we had to hire a special unit, a green screen unit, if you will, uh, for him and, uh, and, and get a makeup artist out there that could do the, you know, biosphere people's special makeup. Uh, and, and we were able to coordinate that uh, with the director via almost like a conference Skype kind of call, if you will, as far as the direction was given while we had a witness camera at the other studio and, and shoot it that way. That almost seems like the way to go if you if you want to pull that off again. Have well, your we, special we, guest we stars thought, on different thought, continents. You know, Jason, <laughs> Jason Clark, one of the producers, says we can get any, any any actor we want anywhere if we can if we don't have to travel them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's, he's not that he's not that wrong, but um, but uh, you know, as it as it as it stands, I think you know the goal has been, as you've seen in the other episodes, is that we've been able to. Um, get a lot of these actors to come out here and, and shoot with us uh, on set in front, because it's always a better way to do it if you can. But uh, but you never know. The occasion might come up again where, where it works in our benefit. I'll, I'll pipe in. It's kind of a philosophy they use on Cosmos. They get a lot, you know, a lot of it's voiceover and stuff. So, you know, they have access to a, an amazing pool of people because, you could be in the middle of a set shooting somewhere else. As long as you've got a good mic and an ISDN line, they're going to think and narrate the show. So the philosophy applies here as long as, you know, now we know how to sort of build that pathway. All right, but, so Jason, but I like the surprise of him. You know, it was something we surprised uh, them with in the, in the table read because no one except for Seth, uh, out of all the actors, knew it was going to be him. And we like to do these table reads. Uh, every week, you know, of the episodes, so Seth will make his notes and make any changes with the writers that he feels, you know, helps it or, or you know, decides to make changes for the better of the show. And on that one, uh, I, I told them to make sure there's a video monitor up. And when it came time to read that part, I just hit play on the video monitor and Liam comes up and everyone was like, woohoo, you know, it's amazing, you know, because he had already <laughs> shot it. So we we're already able to uh, uh, have it up there. You've alluded to some, um, you know, some of the hassles that an assistant director there the ad has to take care of was there a nightmare 
let's just say let's just call it for lack of a better term a nightmare shoot where you were like this is never going to work and then when you saw the finished product you were like wow that could not have turned out better well the uh, as you call it the glory hole episode into the fold was a really <laughs> difficult script when i got it and uh and I, I, I was very surprised because, you know, we break down and schedule the, 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 the show, and, and what that entails is, is determining the page length of every scene, uh, how it's written, and how we're going to fit it in within a certain shooting day. And in that particular episode, and you saw it, and I think it came out brilliantly, I think everyone did such a great job on that one, it was 33 pages of two minor kids uh, with all that dialogue, and I had to shoot them in... Uh, nighttime shots, which there's, you know, laws about, you know, how long you can work with kids. I had to shoot them on location. I had to shoot them in the water. I had to shoot them with stunts. I had to shoot them with all this stuff. And I said, my God, you know, you've created this episode that is going to be very difficult to figure out how to accomplish. And uh, there's always a, where well, there's a will, there's a way, and there's always a solution to everything. And it took a little while, but uh, we managed to, uh, the kids, those kids are fantastic. Kai and BJ, who play um, uh, Ty and Marcus, were some of the most professional young actors I've ever. They were off book even more than our principal cast of ensembles were. They knew even their lines. I remember <laughs> there was one scene on the ship where I can't remember which one of our actors it was out of the main you know crew were supposed to say a line and they weren't saying it and. BJ in the middle of the scene whispers it to him and the other actor turns around and goes, I know it was my pause. I was waiting, you know, and he goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. Cause he knew he's such an eager kid. He knows he knew everybody's lines. They're so smart. So these kids hit their marks every single time. They knew every bit of dialogue they needed to know. And they were just the nicest young men. And uh, it's going to, it's, it's nice that they're part of the show because I think they really do bring another element that opens it up too. But that was a difficult show to figure out how to do and how to accomplish it on, you know, some distant locations in the elements. Well, you know, like, like, like Seth wants to open up the show and give you something that you can't, you can't get. I mean, if you look at the original Star Trek, you know, uh, I think, you know, from what that was to what all the other, um, to what all the other, you know, Star Trek shows and what, Orville is, is like, you know, every, every, and the Discovery even one, you know, it's like everyone tries to open up the shows and make it a bigger world. And I think by able to, you know, write these episodes where we go on locations and where we open it up that shows that there are different worlds and different planets and different things and different kinds of people. I think every opportunity you have to do that that fits within, you know, the parameters of what you're trying to do is, is, is really good for the show in the overall arc of, of, of the seasons as it goes on. You know, it's something you, you remember. You'll remember the biosphere. You'll remember the end of the fold. We'll be on another season, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, and then they went here, and then they went there. And it's something that is, is very easy to recall because they're so well-written, and, and we're actually trying to get the production value. But while you're out there shooting those scenes on location, you wish, damn it, why couldn't we just be back on that beautiful, gorgeous set that's perfect? <laughs> well, you know, you want to open up a show. You can only, it's like you only want to, like, I'll tell you a story if I can that's a little off, off mark from what we're talking about. Did you ever read a book uh, called Sturgis by Sturgis about Preston Sturgis, the director? Well, I don't know if it's still in print or not, but you can look it out there and look him up. But Preston Sturgis was the director that did Sullivan's Travels and Palm Beach Story, all about it. You know, he did all these movies, these light, light movies and Academy Awards and all this. And he had this idea that he would build this club in, in Hollywood because everyone liked to go out to dinners and everyone liked to see shows and liked to, do, liked to go to bars and do this thing. So this is in the 40s late 40s, he built this place, uh, which he, I think he called Imperial Gardens at the time. And it was a, re a dinner theater at the, in one level on the bottom. It was a restaurant in the middle floor, and there's a bar at the top. And he invited all the celebrities at the time, you know, the Cary Grants or whoever was there. And it was a, the first night was a huge success. But then it, it failed, and he actually, you know, lost all his money doing it because what he failed to realize is that everybody liked to go out and everybody liked to do all those things, but they didn't like to stay at the same place for so long. You know what I mean? Six hours or seven hours in one place was too much. So they liked to go to the bar somewhere, the coconut room for dancing, the ambassador club for, you know, drinks, whatever it was. And I think if you only have a show where you sit in the same rooms on the same ship, it might end up feeling the same thing, or it's a different kind of show, like a three-camera sitcom where you are with those same people day in and day out on the same, you know, bedroom, kitchen, dining room, living room sets, you know. So the idea that we have 
a budget and a style and a, and, a, and something in Seth's mind that, that makes it a bigger universe, I think, is only a good thing, you know, because the ship's not going anywhere. We put a lot of time and effort and money into expanding that, and I think as the seasons go on, you're going to see more and more of the ship in, in new and great ways. Yeah, well, I just want to echo what you're saying. That the uh, It really is cool to get out on location and, and, like you said, just open up the show that way and you know, you can always tell. Like, just going back to Star Trek, you know, you can tell when they uh, they <laughs> they they're running out of money or whatever. They had to do like a bottle episode that's all you know on the ship, and and some of those could be really really awesome episodes. But I always like it when uh, when they can get out and breathe the air a little bit, and have some natural lighting. Sometimes you have to do the bottle episodes, but I think uh, I think the policy here is if we have a bottle episode, we're going to do something super interesting with it. I guess I guess the thing that we were talking about uh, was how we maximize our space on on, a, on the shows when we do have the bottle episodes or when we have any episode is that you know we have a limited amount of stage space here because you know every other stage is taken up by shows uh, most of the year and uh, we have to build uh, within our sets. So if you notice the shuttle bay uh, that we had. Uh, where where we see you know all the different things that happen in that big wide area. When there's an episode that requires new sets and we don't have room, we actually build we cover the floor and we build it within the shuttle bay. Like for episode six, the Krill episode, uh, the entire Krill ship was built within the walls of the shuttle bay, uh, wow. minus a couple little rooms that we put somewhere else to do that. Does that make uh, you know you know what I mean that that's what I'm talking about maximizing the space. So it's kind of funny because. Every episode, we're only shooting the shuttle bay for X amount of time, and then it opens it up that we can build all these other fantastic worlds when we aren't out and we're in there that, that turn into something new. And let me tell you, this season, we've got some really interesting things in the shuttle bay. <laughs> it was also the Caliban Zoo from uh, the second episode, uh, which was filmed third, uh, that Robbie Duncan McNeil uh, uh, directed, who's back this season also. All right, um, Joe. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to kind of go over some of your uh, IMDb, IMDb credits. Uh, been looking through it, and it, a lot of it reads almost like if you could pull out a, um, a ticket stub library of films I've seen in the theater. <laughs> so, but and most recently, but none of them hold up. <laughs> uh, the Greatest Showman was great. Uh, Megan and oh, my yeah, wife and I loved that movie. That was a recent one. Yeah, yeah. I meant the old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I have a, I have a, a thing about, you know, my, 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 what now has become a career, you know, that I didn't know that I was had this one as I was going through from show to show and day to day and year to year of doing what I do, is that I tried to, you know, not all the time, you, you don't have the option to, you know, choose all your projects all the time, and you know, we're here, you know, this is a job and we're making a living, but uh, sometimes, you know, you're able to mold your career a little bit, or sometimes you're able to. Um, you know, pick a show that, that works, uh, you know, for, for you in the sense that, you know, something you want to do and something that, 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 that works within your schedule. And uh, there's been a, I've, I've had a couple of those in my history, you know, and I think I, I feel like I get one of those every five or six years. Uh, of some of some of those and and Jurassic World I think is definitely one of them and and going back further Saving Private Ryan was probably you know for me personally one of the highlights of my career uh, spending that time in Europe with those people making that movie was something more it felt like something more than just a movie you know that we were doing out there so um, yeah so so you know each one of them brings their um, their own set of variables and their own set of logistics. And I think as an assistant director, that's the challenge for us is how to solve logistics and, you know, how to answer questions and solve problems. That's what kind of what, what we do. And uh, hopefully do it with a light touch and a good sense of humor and a little bit of charisma, you know, that, that, that keeps these people, A, wanting to bring me back on shows, or B, uh, you know, in accomplishing the goal of the director and the producers uh, of managing it well. So they all have their different, you know, stories and things. I mean, at the end, all I'm left with are my stories uh, from them. Uh, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a whole book unto itself. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been fortunate and blessed to uh, have, have those opportunities. And I think that's come from just keeping my head down and my eyes and ears open and, and working hard. I give uh, 100% of my time, 100% of my effort, 100% of my time, you know. So, so that's, that's, you know, that, that kind of speaks, that's, that's the reputation that speaks for itself there.
Well, we appreciate the stories that you share with us, and we are definitely going to hit you up uh, as season two progresses um, and the episodes start coming out, and we can get to talk to you about some of the stuff that we will be seeing in season two. Yeah, of, um, of, of course. And like I said, I'm always happy to talk about specifics from, from season one, you know, uh, about if you, if you have anything from those five or so episodes that I've done, I'm, 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 uh, I'm more than happy to, uh, to talk about that. I keep thinking about the clown from Firestorm. Oh, yeah, the clown. That was great. That was a mix between uh, Joseph Perot's costume uh, design with the, 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 what are those things called? The the no no the the, the birthday kazoos uh, like you know with yeah. those old things. I mean his sketches. At some point you know for the old stuff. I'm I'm sure you have Joseph on. We'll have to scan some of them and send them to you guys because yeah. the original sketches and of how it starts and how it looks like you may obviously see the Academy Awards where they do the costume design and they show the sketches and then they show a clip from it and how it changes a little bit but it's almost right on. It's kind of exactly what Joseph pictured and it's kind of what Howard Berger and his K&B team and uh, prosthetic makeup team uh, were able to create with that, along with, you know, our, our stunt coordinator, Tim, being able to really get some solid action that, uh, that Seth had written. So yeah, it was pretty horrifying in real life. Yeah, he was, he was scary. <laughs> it's like, like it, it before it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, which, which was kind of funny, you know, that it, that it, that it kind of had that parallel. But uh, that was a hard show to do. We had a long second unit on that one because we had such – uh, big stunts and effects, and we changed the ship so much with all the damage and with all the red alerts that you don't normally see within the different confines of the ship and the power outs and the and you know the the what became the sequence from the simulator room you know and, and accomplishing that was uh, was not something that fit into its normal pattern of eight days. Uh, it required a little more to which I think is great that you know that the studio and Seth and everyone is willing to get get what they need to make a great episode. Yeah, I was um reading back on the uh on the question we asked about, you know, nightmare production stories that turned out great. I was thinking like any any production stories that were that actually caused nightmares and I was thinking about the clown. So Oh, specific nightmares. <laughs> yeah, yeah specific well, nightmares. you know, there's some <laughs> It's funny because, you know, it, it you know, being on set and in front of it, it never really hits you the same way because you know you're surrounded by a hundred other people filmmakers around it but then you look in one direction it's all that and sometimes you get that little hairs in the back of your neck going like holy shit i don't want to walk down that hallway right now alone when the rest <laughs> of the crew somewhere else yeah. <laughs> like, so you do get that feeling sometimes you know i've had that on other shows with things yeah. like that but yeah i could I, I could imagine you know like the dark shuttle bay when you're the guy that's the shuttle the bay guy in there yeah that was really creepy so. the work you saw and I'll let him, I just what you saw on camera is basically what the shuttle bay was lit. I have photos in my phone where everybody the flashlight. Yeah, it's just flashlights and purple lighting and smoke and you know yeah. it was quiet. It was like that 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 quiet when the snow happens. It just it was eerily. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I I I I I love this show because from episode to episode, you never know what you're going to get. You never know where you're going to go. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what, and you, and for the most part, to me, you always think it's about something, but it's actually about something else. And uh, and and I like that where you can't tell what's coming up, and that makes it exciting. Which is why, you know, I said earlier, I don't feel like you know giving away the, uh, you know, the bank before you, uh, you know, you know, you're there is is a is, is good for the show. I think I think people discovering. You know the, the the moment and the same feeling as as you as you see it as it's meant to be seen is uh, you know is is such a is such a nice thing you know to really make more people fall in love with the show. No, I think you hit it on the head. Anything afterwards? <laughs> I, I think you hit it on the head there. Um, going uh, going into the show before the season even started, and then each with each airing of each individual episode, uh, viewers when they expect there's going to be a zig there's definitely been a zag so yeah i, th I think i agree the show is is is, is in the in a way refreshing and new while at the same time familiar in a in a good sci-fi way that we want yeah i think i think we'll keep surprising people and i think that's 
you know, Seth, you know, at the top of the spear, so to speak, and, you know, the, the overall, you know, one who, who, who is the, in charge of this world, I, I think really will keeps that going and keeps, uh, and keeps it, uh, uh entertaining because, uh, it's, it's all him, you know, he's the, without Seth, there's no Orville, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of people that all collectively make it happen, but he is a, a wonderful driving force behind it to, to create these, these stories, you know, with this team of guys and girls. One of the things that we saw that was really fascinating to me, I don't know if this is going to play on a podcast, but maybe can you talk about the, like the lighting setup, like how you guys have like the different kind of nooks and crannies around the ship. Cause that was just really, really cool. Yeah, well, you know, it, 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 just for people that are interested in lighting or interested in the ship Orville, it's it's uh, we we have a lot of LED lighting in in, in the ship, and there are different you know systems that are uh, Marvin Rush, our cinematographer, and uh, Stefan Dallier, our gaffer, have uh, come up with uh, these plans with a with an LED fixture uh, department, and so everything is on a computer uh, board, the, the entire ship. Uh, which is, uh, you know, for people that want to look it up, it's very like universes, but I'm not going to get technical and it's going to get boring. But basically you can control every single light on that ship in every single room with any color you want and any pattern you want at any time for anything that works within a story. So it's very expensive to do, but worthwhile because you because the ship is a character too. We have to remember this, not just your actors, the ship is also a character. And so by having these LED lights, it gives it its own life uh, where you know you have a familiarity with the ship uh, when it's in different colors and when it's in different things, or you know you're in an actor's, uh, a particular character's room because they have a, if you'll notice through the episodes, if you're in Bordas's quarters, it has a certain thematic lighting to it as opposed to Claire's quarters, which also has one, as does Alara's, as does Jay Lee's, as does Scott, you know, uh, um, Malloy's, you know, Gordon Malloy's, and, 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 and in turn, uh, you know, uh, Ed and Kelly's uh, quarters also have their own their own look. So to be able to design uh, something more to the background of somebody that tells it in a in a 360 degree view is is, is amazing. And Marvin's great that way because uh, he cares about every frame and he cares about every look. Uh, uh, you know, uh, time wise, much to my chagrin sometimes, but uh, but that's why he's here because he brings a different level that doesn't make it look like everything else that is out there today. And it's not quite what it was once before, but it's its own special look. And I think, you know, the ship, the way it's lit is, uh, you know, we have those LEDs and then we have, you know, these wonderful lights called sky panels, which you can look into uh, there. And those ones are also multicolored channels where you can create whatever environment you want, uh, uh, you know, not rigged, uh, you know, within the body of the ship, but uh, externally, you know, either from the ship or on stands around as you would light any movie set or TV set. So I think, um, I think, you know, those kind of lights and, and, and Marvin's thinking and the tools we're using with the cranes and the, you know, we use a lot of drone footage. We're using drones this year a lot more, which is going to be, you know, open up the show more. I think all these different things combined with all the other departments really, really bring a new, a new great look to television. Well, we yeah. look forward to seeing it, uh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's great. And then, uh, you know, and when appropriate, it's like the old kind of fashion lighting, you know, depending on what planet you're on, because not every planet is, uh, you know, the same. Uh -huh. So sometimes you need that stuff. You know, I want to borrow the lights that, uh, that Glee had for six years. Or a fox, like to say Glee. I don't know. I never actually saw that show, so I don't know its lighting. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> you get the drift, though. All right, awesome. Um, I think that I think that covers most of it. Again, like I said, we're going to have questions for you later on down the road. Uh, talk about season two when we can. And again, Jason, I want to thank you again for your hospitality one on our visit. That was uh, awesome. And thanks again for taking the time out to speak to us on this episode. Anytime. It was my pleasure, guys, and I hope we get the chance to host you out here again at some point. And, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's really great for the show. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I was happy to be able to uh, hopefully uh, uh, talk, uh, give you guys some more information or your listeners about uh, the first season. And, uh, yeah, let, let Tom or anyone know if you have some more questions about it, and uh, we'll, we'll get more people to you. All right, awesome. And you will see us again, right, Tom? Tom, right, right? 
travel. <laughs> All right, cool. We'll talk to you guys later. Uh, thanks so much. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Jason Roberts is as nice of a guy over the uh, Skype line as he is in person. Wouldn't you guys agree? Just like everybody else. Absolutely yeah, agreed. I, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's so much we want to share with the, the listeners about what we saw in our experience there, but uh, we're going to respect uh, their wishes. And like uh, Jason says, it's better in the end uh, when you guys see the finished product. And then once once it all comes out, uh, you know, we'll gush with whatever we can, and we will most definitely do it because it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And again, uh, thanks for uh, Tom uh, for arranging it and for Jason showing us around that day. It was very awesome. And oh, you should all be very jealous. It's it's well, you know, justified. <laughs> uh, it just goes to show what everybody was saying in all the interviews that we did last season about us, how nice everybody is on that set. It just really is. It's true. It's, you know, everybody from like some of the actors that we talked to, to, you know, the lighting guys and the sound guys and, and Jason and Tom and Tom staff. And it was just fantastic. Yeah. I think Scott was, a, was excited to see us. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can yeah, I share that my was, Jay Lee was, story? Uh, yeah, I think you could share your Jay Lee story. Please share yeah. your Jay Lee story. <laughs> so Jay Lee, we hadn't actually talked to him, but um, on the show, on the on this show, but uh, but we did get to meet Jay Lee, and uh, he was just super charming, and he totally likes my style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was standing just to the side, and Jay Lee just looked Michael up and down, and just said, "I like what you going, what you have going on here." <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh if you've seen michael you know he's, you know he's got a style and it's jaylee approved so um, I need that, that counts for some and uh, for those of you that uh, remember our interview with scott grimes in the past we talked about getting tattoos we once again talked about getting our tattoos so hopefully that will happen um so uh as far as Orville news goes. Uh, we mentioned uh, Kai uh, Werner earlier. He was nominated for a Young Entertainer Award, right, uh, Joe? Yeah, he was um, within the past week or two, uh, and he was nominated for uh, the Best Recurring Young Actor, eleven and under, in a TV series uh, for his role as Ty Finn. So the show is, you know, getting its uh, as we get ready to go into Emmy season here. You know. The- we're picking up us, you know, picking up award award nominations so far. Anyway, um, like a uh, we mentioned in the last podcast that the Orville was nominated for a handful of uh, Saturn awards as well. So hopefully that's just signs of things to come that gets uh, more attention and more, um, you know, give credit where credit is due. That it, it is an awesome show. And um, I, I I've noticed this come up a lot where everyone says, well, when's season two starting? When's season two? I hear it's delayed, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so we, we can tell you that there are no delays right now. I uh, confirmed this with Tom, and he said it was okay to say. Um, no delays, and it's currently slated to start in September, around the same time frame anyway. But yeah, I, no no official schedules have been released, so... You know, grain of salt, but everything's on track. Yeah, the show itself is on track. Everything's running smooth. Um, it's just kind of up to the network as far as where to plug it and where to program it. And so hopefully we will get it sooner than later and we'll have it in September again. All right, well, what else we got business-wise? Uh, well, I just kind of wanted to, uh, you know, put another plug out for the, the Orville Wiki uh, page um you know they're continuing to add content every day only like it seems like every hour um and tom got his page yeah i saw that i gave him i gave him shit about it <laughs> and then i had to share my share my page that you know i'm on a i'm on the star trek wiki for, yeah. you, for your uh, role-playing game stuff or your editing no for, for my editing this comic book nice 
You can look me up in the Dan Taylor and the Star Trek wiki. You won't see much there, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of web stuff, Dan, I think you're re uh, or you're building an actual website for the uh, show instead of the um, splash screen we had. Yeah, we just sort of had a splash screen with links to show where you can hear the show. And I'm actually, we're actually building, putting together a site for it. Um, as, you know, we talked about with Jason this episode, you know, season one, and then you move on to season two, and you go from, you know, uh, 1.0 to 2.0, and that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, PlanterUnion.net uh, uh, 2.0. We're going to, uh, you know, we're making some improvements. We're going to have a better web presence. And with that, you know, we're uh, branching out to some of the other social media channels, uh, stepping into the, stare, into the scary Reddit territory. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, if for those uh, Android users and Google users, uh, we're going to have a presence on Google+. So uh, Planetary Union's not going anywhere. We're just... Uh, we're just uh, getting started. We're going to grow grow along with the show. Yeah. And um, as always, be sure to follow Planetary underscore Union on Twitter. I think that's where we do most of our communicating. There's the Planetary Union Network Facebook page. And that wraps it up. Yeah, we, um, we broke 1,500 uh, followers on uh, Twitter, too. 2000 by the time episode two or by the time season two premieres. I think we'll do it. Alrighty. Oh yeah. That's that. That's the whole cue for donkey hugging arborists. Good night, John. <laughs>